you slept in. Hey, we're not judging. Sometimes you just need to get a little more sleep. And if you do need to snooze, we'd much rather you did that in a premeditated manner, like maybe a warm, comfortable bed, than in our pews. You can always catch up with the sermon later, right here on the Sunday Morning Sleep In podcast. Now you'll still miss out, and we'll still miss you, and we gather as community for support and encouragement, and we'll probably even miss your voice, even if you don't think you sing very well. And we won't be able to give you any cupcakes following service, but we'll give you what we can. I'm Chris Marshall. And I'm Susan Foster. And we are United Methodist Pastors in Reno, Nevada. We're not theological experts or homiletical harbingers of a new age. We're your average pastors, helping our congregations think through life's big questions every week. We started this podcast, so if you're away from home or working, or maybe you had to shovel snow, or maybe just sleeping in, you can keep up with some of the ideas floating around the church. Every episode is a conversational version of a sermon one of us gave on Sunday. So... Whatever day it is when you're listening to this, we hope that you will keep an open mind and an open heart. Quick note, we really care about what we're talking about, but we don't think you have to think like us. In fact, we encourage you to question, to disagree, and to figure out what you think. Our sincere hope is that you will experience the mysterious loving force in the world we know as God moving in your life as you consider this. So Susan... So, Chris... As we mentioned in the last episode, it is the first Sunday of Advent. Yes. Advent being that period of somber reflection before Christmas where Christians prepare the way, as you say. Make the road straight. Pay attention to all the things that make it necessary for God to break into the world in the first place. Right. So, places of loneliness and longing, places of injustice and suffering, oppression, all of that. All of that. All of those things that are broken in in us and in the world. Yeah, and I, I like to remind my congregation that that traditionally Christmas doesn't actually start until Christmas, mm-hmm. not at Thanksgiving, but at Christmas. Yeah. And that, that we, we have created a season that overwhelms us uh-huh. um, with distractions, it, which I think is a really fascinating thing in the midst of a season where we should be paying more attention. Yeah, being a little bit more quiet. The 12 days of Christmas actually happen after Christmas. They're the yes. 12 days between Christmas and Epiphany, which happens January 6th. Yes. Um, but we have turned the Christmas season, we flipped them, I yes. think, a little bit. So we have, Yeah, we have. So so just in case somebody's out there going, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, we're, just, we're just reminding ourselves of the tension that we live in. Yeah, and we have all these funny little traditions in our church to to honor Advent, mm-hmm. to celebrate Advent. Um, one of them is lighting an Advent wreath. We have uh, four candles around an Advent wreath and one in the center. And the idea is that you light one candle the first week of Advent, two candles the second week and on. And then on Christmas Eve, you get to light the Christ candle. Yep. And so it's kind of the countdown, but it's like a count up to, right. uh, to Christmas. And so we do that, and different people in the church light those candles, and and also we do the decorating. We prepare the the church so that it feels a little bit more festive. Yes. So that we we're that we are expecting something big. I was telling somebody, it's like, you know, when you're a little kid, you hate dressing up, <laughs> and then when you're an adult, you you kind of almost like, like it, it because yeah. you know that something special is about to happen. Right. And so it's like something special. So we're dressing up the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting everything ready and paying attention. So that we notice when Christmas happens. Now, right. of course, being a paradoxical kind of faith, we believe exactly. Christmas is happening all the time. Um, but already it's happened, will happen again. Will happen again, yeah. But it's uh, it's not literally, but metaphorically yes. speaking. But during this season, our focus is really on that on that reflection point and on figuring out what the truth of our world is so that we're not lying to ourselves or to God about it, so that we are not fooled by false hope either. Right. 
so that we can have genuine hope. So genuine hope and, and true grace. That's exactly what we're looking for. My sermon from Sunday is also based on Isaiah 64. Yes. I kind of like it when we do the same scripture and go in different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did Isaiah 64, which is it's part of Isaiah's lament. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens during a lament is you spend some time, the structure is you spend some time reminding God <laughs> and the people yes. of all of the wonderful things that have happened already. So right. you start with all the good history mm-hmm. and you say, okay, look, look at all the times that God intervened for us. Right. God parted the Red Sea and there was the burning bush mm-hmm. and there was this, that, and the other. All these times, all these moments when God showed up with force. Right. And then what Isaiah 64 is moving into is that, and that doesn't happen. happen anymore. And God, what's up with that? And why don't you just break open the heavens and come down? Why don't you just show up for us? And, are, you know, are you still mad at us because we haven't been perfect? And could you please, you know, remember that we that have we this covenant people. and I know that we've broken the covenant, but you are bigger than us. <laughs> you <laughs> are maybe, a better you are a better person than us, oh God. Maybe you can hold this up on your end. And so the end of it is really about like God, you are we call you father, we call you potter. You are supposed to shape us. Right. Uh, so, so could that, you come and shape us? Could you please come and come and do that for us? And so that's sort of the gist of Isaiah sixty four. And uh, it's sort of like a little kid who's lost at the grocery store Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and is just like going up to every person and saying, mom, are you mom? Mom? Are you my mother? As the the old book, as the kids book Are you my mother? Yes. Like I I have lost my way and I need somebody else to be in charge. Mm -hmm. I need somebody else to just take care of it. Mm -hmm. I think there's a reason why superhero movies have become so popular in the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. I mean, they've been popular for 70 years, but in mythology before that, but that we are always looking for somebody else to be in charge and to fix it. Well, and I think especially like as we've been processing like World War II, for example, the ways in which superheroes have been a part of that processing, like Mm -hmm. even just like the um, Wonder Woman film. Yeah. And then it, it almost excuses us, like, right. oh, well, our ancestors really do it. it. was Wonder Woman who did it. Like, right, like, right. No, it, no, was, it no, was people. No. It was normal people. people. It was people. It was us humans. We're the ones who did that. I love superheroes. I yeah. love them. I love... My... Susan will tell you, my shelves are full of... Uh, yes, they are. ...ridiculous numbers of superhero DVDs and stories and comic books comic and stuff. Books. But I love superhero stories because it, it's nice to sort of escape into that fiction mm-hmm. that somebody else will come and fix it. Yes. And... I didn't realize that served a particular psychological purpose mm-hmm. until, I don't know, maybe like six or seven years ago, I was reading uh, one of my favorite theologians. You guys hear about him a lot. His name is Peter Rollins. Mm-hmm. He's an Irish guy, postmodern philosopher and theologian. He calls himself a pyro theologian. <laughs> and uh, he did like this epic takedown of Batman. <laughs> he basically said, you know, superheroes really only fix the problems they create and that Batman does not fix the world. Batman spends millions of dollars creating technology that makes him impervious so he can run around in back alleys and beat people up. Mm. And that that's not something that fixes society. Uh, that cracking down uh, in law enforcement, believe it or not, is not actually what fixes crime. Nope. That there are other factors like whether or not there's basic income levels, whether or not people have education, whether or not there's a job market, you know, what the unemployment mm-hmm. situation is like. All of those other things affect crime a lot more than whether or yeah. not there's a superhero running around beating people up in the alley. And so uh, so he sort of talks about, you know, Batman wastes all this money mm-hmm. and all this time so that he can feel like a hero. So he right. can feel like he's making a difference. But really, he's distracting from what will actually make a difference. Wayne Foundation, uh, which is Batman's 
alter ego, Bruce Wayne. Right. Wayne Foundation does a lot more because they invest in education. They invest in training. They invest in innovation mm-hmm. that creates jobs. They they do all of that work that builds the infrastructure that makes people feel safer right. and more secure so that they don't need to fall into these other loyalties that give them that sense of security, like gangs or whatever. Right. So anyway, so you did this epic takedown of Batman. I was so disappointed because <laughs> he was right. I wasn't yeah. disappointed because he was wrong. I was disappointed because he was right. right. I was disappointed in myself and, and thinking about, well, then who fixes the everyday stuff? Right. And what I come to this scripture understanding now is that God's miracles, which are what they're asking for, right. are never as important as God's covenant, which right. is sort of what he ends with. That God's miracles never outweigh God's covenant. And people often say, prove that God exists. You know, if God exists, make a miracle happen. If God exists, this, that, or the other. And it's like, that's not usually how God chooses to work. And we get in trouble whenever we say, well, this is the way God works. Right. Like, God doesn't always work in the ways that we expect, which right. is something that we say a lot and sounds a little cliche, but it's absolutely true. true. That God sometimes circumvents our expectations Visions. on purpose. Right. And that for us, that can feel like God is hiding from us or God is away from us. Mm-hmm. What it is, is maybe perhaps God reminding us that we don't own God. We don't? We don't own God. We can't tell God how to work. You mean God's not a circus performer? God God has free will, just like we do. Mm. God gets to choose. God cannot be controlled by us. And that we need to deconstruct our expectations around thinking that God only works in a particular way. Right. So that we can be present when God does work. Yeah. I quoted uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who... Okay, good job. Is Thank you. One of my favorites. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's cool. <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer was part of like a, a spy network on a secret mission to kill Hitler during World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was trying to be a superhero. <laughs> um, he was a pastor mm-hmm. and he was trying to be a superhero. I find the tension in mm-hmm. those roles. Yes. Fascinating. Yes. But he thought this was the right thing to do. We're going to kill Hitler. And uh, they failed, obviously. They were arrested. They were thrown into a concentration camp. And so in 1944, from his concentration camp, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, letters and papers from prison Mm -hmm. uh, that have been compiled now into a book. And this was his logical conclusion. He said, God would have us know that we must live as men or people who manage our lives without God. The God who is with us is the God who forsakes us. And he reminds us of Jesus on the cross calling out, why have you forsaken me? The God who lets us live in the world without the working hypothesis of God is the God before whom we stand continually. Before God and with God, we live without God. God lets himself be pushed out of the world onto the cross. He is weak and powerless in the world. And that is precisely the way, the only way in which he is with us and helps us. Mm. In other words, that God is not the helicopter parent who comes in and just fixes it, Mm -hmm. just does it for you. That God is the parent who lets you try it on your own and gives you the tools that you need to deal with your own life. So uh, he's calling back to this idea of covenant. Rather than denying that God is powerful, he's retrieving uh, his faith, this idea of covenant that God works in us, mm-hmm. that God will be our God mm-hmm. and we will be God's people, but we have to let ourselves be shaped. Right. So this idea of covenant, that God's power is vulnerability and non-coercive love and suffering and solidarity, that he transforms hearts and then hearts help people to do the right actions. And that helps us build a world 
that we've asked God for. Right. A world where everybody feels safe. Everybody feels at home. home. I love that. Um, everybody feels like they have a place to contribute. Yep. And that they're loved and they belong and all that. So we talked about this idea of covenant trumping <laughs> God's miracles. That this promise that we have to one another is more important. And so therefore our hope is not in God parting the Red Sea again or fixing everything. Right. Our hope is that we will be able to be vulnerable enough to God that we can be transformed. Yeah. That we can be molded and shaped. And, and again, it ends with this idea of God as parent, God as, as potter, mm-hmm. who helps to shape us into right. what we are called to be. Right. So all of that said, the last couple of weeks, you know, we haven't been around. We have been, we have been, we've been on vacation. vacation. And it was lovely. My rule for vacation was no news. We watch the news every single day. Wasn't my fault. Wasn't my fault either. But <laughs> it happened. Um, and so it was really hard to get away from all the things that were happening in the world, all of the sexual assault charges that are coming out, all of the corruption issues that are happening, all of the lies that are coming to light, mm-hmm. all of the nonsense. The nonsense. Um, all of the nonsense that is happening in the world. And one of the things I've been paying particularly close attention to, because it's not partisan, is this tax reform bill that's going through Congress. Yeah. I told my congregation, I don't. I try not to talk about politics very often because I assume that some of you will say, I am imposing my politics on religion. I need them to know I love Jesus before I love justice. Right. <laughs> that the justice came from Jesus, not the other way around. So I said, I know that sometimes you will, you will dismiss what I say around politics because you will assume I am being partisan, but I have not found a single good argument <laughs> for this, for the tax reform bill that's currently going through Congress. That it is unabashedly and undisguisedly, not that disguise would make it any better, but right. undisguisedly levering a tax on poor people to pay for a tax cut for rich people. That it's taking away health benefits for the sick. Uh, it's making it impossible for children who live in poverty to eat. My favorite was a congressperson who decided to describe them as lazy bums who can't get a job. Yeah, they're children. They're children. Yeah. But all of these programs that they're taking away, caring for our elderly, uh, caring for the people who are the most vulnerable among us, they want to scrap all these programs to do a tax cut for the rich. And what they say is that this will incentivize rich people to uh, invest more in corporations, hire more people, invent more things. What's interesting is you actually grow the economy when you raise people's wages on the lower end because they can afford to buy more things. And then the free market decides what things need to be innovated because what is their demand for? And then that creates more jobs. It's amazing. I know. And so it's this trickle-down theory of economics has not worked for 30 years. I don't know why we think it would. Why would why would something that hasn't worked so far work again? Our GDP per capita is higher than it's ever been. We can afford to do the things we want to do. It's higher than it was during the space program. It's higher than it was mm-hmm. during World War II. It's higher than it was during all of those times of innovation in our country that were so wonderful and bold. We could pay for it if we wanted to, but we don't because... I don't know, I, just corruption? I said, I don't know, guys. There's no other word I have for this except the tax reform bill is sinful. Mm-hmm. It's it's evil, and I don't use those words lightly. But it's a really clear picture of who we think we value in our society. And according to the God who shapes us, mm-hmm. the people that we need to be looking out for are those people who are sick and vulnerable and poor and the children and the orphans and the widows and all of those people. And so I... I I can't find an argument for why this is a good bill. And I'm afraid that we have lost our voice because we're so afraid of being political mm-hmm. that we haven't spoken up. The best organized lobbying group in the USA right now, Susan, is who? The NRA. It is the NRA. Um, but back in the day. Back in the day. We're going to wait. 
But back in the day, it was in the 1920s and the 1910s and earlier than that, Christian Women United, which was a Methodist and other mainline women, women organization group. They were the most powerful lobbying agency in the United States. And remember, that was before they even had a vote. Before they even had a vote. And they impacted our laws around child labor. They impacted our laws around the 40-hour work week. Uh, they impacted our laws around so many different things that have raised the level of, well, life expectancy, raised health, uh, raised standard of living, all of those things, built the infrastructure so that we could have a middle class. Right. Like they did all of these things because they weren't afraid of using their voice and standing up and speaking about the things that they care about. Said so this tax reform bill has just gone through the Senate. Uh, there's going to be a committee where the Congress, the, the House of Representatives and the Senators get together and try and find some middle ground between the two different bills that passed. But none of them are good. None of them. And I am hoping that we are not afraid to use our voice. Yeah. So uh, as we are being shaped into God's people, may we not forget that being compassionate doesn't mean being weak. Amen. That being vulnerable and open and empathetic to other people's needs and pains does not mean that we have to lose Right. That we can actually... It's not a zero-sum game. We can win. We can do this well, and we need to. Yes. Wes Magruder had a great quote on Twitter. He's a pastor who used to serve in Texas. I'm not sure where he is now. But he says, if I didn't believe Jesus makes a difference, I wouldn't be a Christian. Mm -hmm. If I didn't believe it was possible to live like Jesus, I wouldn't be a pastor. (laughs) And if I didn't believe that other people could also live like Jesus, I wouldn't be part of a church. (laughs) That the whole idea is that we are supposed to do this. We are supposed to care about these things. We are supposed to let ourselves be shaped into the kingdom of God. And we can't let our fear of being accused of being political get in the way of that. Anne Lamott said, we never, ever give up. No matter what things look like, no matter how depressing the news, it's okay to hate everything for a few days. And then we rise up again and we do the next right thing, which is almost always to help the poor however we can. Amen. That is our call. And so our hope that God breaks into the world isn't in the parting of the Red Sea or manna raining down from heaven. Our hope is that we will allow ourselves to be molded, to be shaped, to be used. Mm-hmm. That is our call. Yes. So I told people, I'm sorry. I know you don't like it when I get political, but I don't know a way around this one, guys. <laughs> I, I don't know how I could be a pastor and not speak right now. Yeah. And I hope all of you will speak too. I confess that my my speed dial includes all of my congress people and senators mm-hmm. and i call them on a regular basis and it doesn't take very long mm-hmm. to call and leave a message and say what you think and that you know if they chose to do that i'd be happy to share those phone numbers with them or they're an easy google search away yeah uh, judith faber said one must not expect to saunter nonchalantly into the presence of almighty god right during this season of preparation we look at the dark corners we look at the broken places in the world and we also wait mm-hmm. because we know that God will probably call us to do something about that. Those dark corners and those dark places. And we need to take that seriously. Yes. So this Advent, I wish for you lots of time for reflection and not being distracted by shiny objects. Yes. 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 So that was the sermon. Well, thank you for listening to this Sunday morning sleep in podcast. If you have questions for us or stories that relate to the topics um, or just the questions you want to ask us, shoot us an email at Sunday morning sleep in at gmail.com or find us at face on Facebook at Sunday morning sleep in or on our website at Sunday morning sleep in.com. Scripture for this podcast was Isaiah 64 verses one through nine. And the theme music you're hearing is take me higher by Jazzer. 
It's traditional at the end of a worship service and now for us at the end of our podcast to deliver a blessing to the congregation, to all you people out there listening in the world. We give you thanks uh, for listening to us and we want you to know that you've been blessed, that the God of all creation does not abandon us even when we get things really, really wrong, that God is always willing to coach and teach and guide and shape and counsel and comfort us so that we can be the people God calls us to be, so we can hold up our end of the covenant. So whatever you believe about this waiting time, whatever you believe about how God acts in the world, you still have to answer the question, how will you choose to live into your own skin this week? How will you let God move in you? Will you love? Will you listen? Will you serve? Will you seek justice? Will you speak up? Maybe you slept in, but now it's time to wake up and get moving. Amen. Amen. Amen.